0: Before I begin this morning, I want to share that the the rose on the table this morning is given in celebration of the new life of Camilla Harvey Cass, who is the daughter of Daniela and Andrew Cass, and granddaughter of Allison Beasley Cass, born on July 5th. Well, I recently, and unexpectedly... Uh, found myself in uh, what was really a, a a wonderful situation. I was at a a social event with a new acquaintance, and and this was somebody that I um, I had previously had a, a couple of interactions with, but but we really didn't know each other beyond our first names. And uh, um, our conversation, uh, I noticed on this particular occasion, it, it suddenly moved from sort of the, the typical. Small talk to a place of real dynamic connection. Have you ever had that unexpected experience? Now, he happened to be another dad with, with small children, and, and so we had begun to connect on a, on a few different things, but you just you can't predict when these sorts of things will take place. And, and I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but at some point I, I just noticed that the conversation had shifted into the deeper end of the pool. And as part of this conversation, he shared with me the origin story of, of he and his wife's web-based business. Um, more than 10 years ago, um, to make a long story short, more than 10 years ago, their fledgling website at the time randomly got picked up by one of the major internet search engines of the time and posted on its homepage. Now, this was before those were governed by algorithms, and and this was actually done just by a group of people, and this person in the room happened to be familiar with their website, not with them, just with their website. And this decision that got made by somebody that they don't know at all, exponentially increased the web traffic, not just for that day to their website, but in perpetuity. Thus changing their lives forever. It, it, it proved that their, their website was, was going to be a good business model. Um, in fact, their livelihood now uh, looks back at this moment as the source of, of everything. In their lives, this day was a seminal moment. And to what degree they were aware of it at the time, it's hard to say. You know, I think they could see that something significant was happening, but looking back, it's very clear to them now. What have been those moments for you? Those moments in which your life now is rooted. Sometimes we have the notion as they are happening that, that these are going to be positive, life changing moments. I can think of the time when I knew that I wanted to marry my wife, Amy. At the time, I I had an idea that that was probably pretty positive. I also remember very distinctly the moment that I learned I had been dismissed from the University of Florida. It's a story for a different sermon. But at the time, I certainly didn't think well, things are finally headed in the right direction. But as I look back now, it was another one of these moments. So what have been those moments for you when you look back and say, you know, from that time on, everything was different? Because this is exactly how our passage for today begins. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. You know, Peter has just confessed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and Peter is told Good for you. Blessed are you. Upon you, I will build my church. And here Jesus says, that's right. And from that time on, things are going to be different. Beginning at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of this Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From that time on, the gospel writer wants us to see that this has been an important moment. That from that time on, everything was going to be different. Now, I'm not so sure that the disciples would have said that from that time on, everything was good. What would you call it? And how would you have responded? In Peter's shoes. As Jesus began to reveal what it was going to look like for him to be the Messiah. What thoughts might you have had about God's plan for the redemption and restoration of the world? Peter makes it clear how it sits with him. And in stronger words, Peter says, I don't care for the plan. Right? What do we think about the plan? That Jesus will die? That God will use imperfect people like us, partner with us in the world? From that time on, everything is different, but not easy. Coming to understand who and what it means that Jesus is the Messiah is, is going to be a lifelong process for Peter we'll see Peter again sort of tripping his way through the Gospels and into the book of Acts. We find this with the disciples. We find this as we look around at the church, stumbling our way through. But but what is it that the disciples struggle with? What is it that Peter is reacting to here God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. Now, as I read that, I, I read concern in Peter's voice. I, I read, I think, a love for Jesus, perhaps. But they're struggling with this idea of a suffering Savior. They've been They've been doing a whole lot of suffering at the hands of the Roman occupiers, and this was supposed to be the end of that, right? Now here are some passages about what the Messiah would come and do. Here are these words from Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. From the book of Isaiah. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lip he shall kill the wicked." righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And also from Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. My sense is that these are the verses the disciples remember as they understand what the Messiah will do. Now to be sure, we can also find passages that detail the suffering that the Messiah will undergo. Perhaps those didn't come to their minds as quickly. We all have a selective memory we do the same things in remembering those scriptures that we like or that we choose to spend our time on. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons that we use the Revised Common Lectionary here for the, for the last five or so years. And maybe you're familiar with that or, or not, but what the Revised Common Lectionary is, is a collection of scripture passages that takes us over the course of three years. And each Sunday, there are selected Verses that are assigned. And each Sunday, there are some passages from the Old Testament and some passages from the New. You have some gospel selections, some epistle selections, some from the Psalms or Proverbs. And one of the strengths of the, re- the lectionary is, is that it exposes us to a breadth of Scripture. Over the course of years A, B, and C, And yet, even with the lectionary, there are passages missing. There's stuff that's just not included. I had a professor in seminary, my preaching professor, who, one of his life's works has been putting together year D. So you have years A, B, and C? Well, he took everything that was left. (laughs) You can imagine what year D is like. We we had to preach from year D for Dr. Slemon's class. But we like to choose the stuff that's that's comfortable, right? The stuff that we understand, the stuff that feels accessible. We naturally tend to steer away from, from the uncomfortable and towards the comfortable. And so these disciples' struggles are not so dissimilar from our struggles. They push back against the notion that the long-awaited Messiah will, will suffer and die. Because, gosh, that doesn't sound a whole lot like victory to them. And then notice, in his instruction to Peter, I I didn't ever catch this before this week. In my recollection in this story, Peter tells Jesus, don't do it. And Jesus says, out of my way, Peter. That's not exactly what happens. Peter says, God forbid it, Lord. And Jesus says, Get behind me. Get behind me. Almost as if to say, follow me. This is going to be for you too. For those who want to save their lives will lose it and those who lose their lives for my sake will find it. And here's Jesus' diagnosis for for what Peter gets wrong, for what the disciples get wrong, and I believe for what we get wrong. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. In his book, You Are What You Love, philosopher and theologian James K. A. Smith tells this true story uh, of a tragic shipping accident that happens in 1914. and uh, It is largely overshadowed by the sinking of the Titanic that, that also happened in that time period. But in this particular incident, the steamship Monroe is rammed by a merchant vessel named the Nantucket, and The Monroe sank, and and tragically, 41 sailors lose their lives in the icy waters of the Atlantic. And at a subsequent congressional hearing, in order to determine who was at fault and what had gone wrong, it was discovered that the captain of the Monroe, the the, the, the ship that had been struck, that the captain had been using a compass that had not been calibrated in the past year. It deviated as, as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. But the captain shared this that this was within the generally accepted deviation, and that the compass was, by their standard, sufficiently true. This, of course, turned out to not be an accurate assumption. But it's that phrase, sufficiently true. Where are you in your faith journey? Where are you in your walk with Christ? Peter has just confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Have you taken that step? If you have, then know that that it is just the beginning. As we begin to discover then what that means for us. Are there opportunities for growth that you that you are avoiding because you believe yourself to be sufficiently Christian? Where is God seeking to pull you forward in this next year of growth. Jesus says, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Smith goes on to say, if the heart is like a compass, then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts, turning them to be directed to the creator. Because our ultimate loves, our longings, our desires, and our cravings, they're all learned. Friends, when our hearts are out of calibration, we learn to want and love the wrong things. It is only when we learned to calibrate our hearts to the divine that we learn to want and to love what God wants and loves. Friends, as we approach Rally Day this next week in the beginning of a new ministry year, your staff and your lay leaders have prayerfully put together a number of opportunities for you to begin recalibrating to the divine. Friends, we want you to join us as we continue to discover who God has created us to be, freeing us from the lives that we think we want to the lives that God has created us for. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.